on the topic of future ready. I could say a few words why I think this topic is so important. But I asked Eddie if we could actually put together a short video to introduce the theme of today. So let's hope this works. In a rapidly transforming world where technology advances and climates shift, we're at a new era's crossroads. Our world, reshaped by geopolitical forces and conflicts like those in Ukraine, Israel and Gaza, reflects the fragile balance of global politics. Far-right political disruption challenges our democracies, igniting debates and testing societal foundations. Simultaneously, economic landscapes transform stock market volatility and the rise of digital currencies, marking a new economic chapter. As inflation soars, escalating the cost of living, families and nations grapple with austerity in an uncertain financial landscape. Despite these changes, climate change and AI emerge as daunting forces. If unchecked, they threaten to escalate environmental catastrophes and ethical dynamics. Yet, these challenges hold immense potential. The human spirit, fueled by creativity and collaboration, is a beacon of hope. Our capacity for innovation and the pursuit of the greater good are keys to unlocking a promising future. As we navigate these changes, our collective imagination lights the way. Together, we can harness our creative power to not only face these challenges, but to emerge stronger and more connected. Welcome to Future Ready, a journey through our time's challenges and a celebration of our potential to shape a world of hope, unity and common good. Okay, you may have wondered where that journey was going to take you at the beginning. <laughs> um, but um, I asked Eddie to put this uh, video together, and uh, how long did it take to produce, do you think? Obviously, it was an AI-generated video, you know, based on a narrative that we built together. And uh, I think it took about a day to actually produce. The bit that didn't work in it was the voiceover. Um, so Eddie's wife, very kindly during a lunch break, <laughs> recorded the narrative and it was her voice that you could hear. <laughs> um, but it's amazing. I, I think some very important themes in, in the world and the context in which we sell is obviously uh, hugely important. And some of these things we're going to be talking about in a bit more detail as, as we go through. So that set the scene. Can I uh, ask, do you remember the words that were on the video just before it closed? Can you remember what they were? Vision. Vision. Ambiguity. Ambiguity. Desire to be the best. Empowerment. Empowerment. Yeah, can, can any of you remember, those of you who've been through the master's programmes, of which we have a number, where that came from? Sorry? No. No, it was... Okay. Okay, failed. <laughs> no, I mean, what it was, so we um, worked together, uh, SAP, as you know, is one of our, you know, it's a major client of ours. Um, we did an exercise about 11 years ago where we brought 200 sales managers from around Europe 
And we, you know, we talk about the sales mindsets quite often, but not leadership mindsets. And we did this exercise where we got these 200 managers to brainstorm what do you think should be the mindsets of great leaders in the, in, you know, in the world in which we live. And we came up with vision, desire to be the best. You can't remember this exercise, can you? It's module one. Yeah, it's module one in the afternoon of the third day, I think it is. Like, come on, God. Uh, and, uh, and the first two, vision and desire to be the best, are more internal. What is your vision? And, of course, we're not in sales unless we, we want to perform really well and highly. So desire to be the best. Empowerment is empowering the people around you. And then potential is the ability to recognize potential in people. So those were the four mindsets. And then, of course, in this VUCA world, which has really sped on since then, you know, we're in a world where, where there's so much uh, unpredictability. And so gradually, as we, every master's workshop we have, do you, you know we have these superhero characters on the branding? Did you wonder what that was about? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, so there's an exercise where we say, look, you've got to be a superhero to be in sales, right? And we want you to create a picture of what you think great salesperson. Do you remember that? Well done, Grant. Yeah, by the way, he's a doctor. You know, he's, he's, he's a doctor, Grant. And, uh, and so the, the superhero exercise is what we do to, to get the students that we have coming through the programme to think about what the mindset should, should be. But we've added the word ambiguity to the four that were done all those years ago um, because of the world in which we live and, and, and change. So that's why we have these curious super people heroes on the branding. I think that's the reason why, Eddie, we did it. Yeah, it was just checking, because <laughs> I never asked you, but I imagine that was a connection. Anyway, um, well, I've spoken about SAP, and I want to introduce now our first speaker. So, um, SAP, as some of you know, um, have had, I think, over 150 people go through the master's programme. But Cathy's not one of them. <laughs> Working on it. <laughs> Um, but, um, uh, but it's been an incredible organisation in terms of actually sponsoring education. And as part of the work we're doing with, with SAP, in Asia, we met Cathy. And Cathy was, well, actually, I'll just say a few words. Cathy at the time was the Chief Operating Officer for the Asia-Pac region, um, covering thousands of people. Yeah, so had a very, very senior role. But she's working on some really innovative future-thinking ideas and concepts. And so it was completely brilliant that we we're able to get Cathy to come and join us today to share some of her thinking. So I wonder if we could give Cathy a round of applause <laughs> for joining us. Change. It's what we've just been speaking about. It's what we've just seen. Change is happening every day to each of us, everywhere. Well, if change is so common, how come when I ask you to think of some great examples of change, it's quite challenging to bring a few to mind? Apple, Netflix, Uber. But after that, the list start of, starts to dry up. <laughs> 
Well, let me start by sharing a story with you that maybe you might not have heard of about a great example of business transformation and change. Who recognises these? Lego. You'll definitely remember if you stood on one in the middle of the night. <laughs> well, Lego is a company that's just over 90 years old. Founded in 1932, Danish toy maker, we all know and love it. And it was doing brilliantly until the turn of the millennium. By 2003, Lego was declining in revenues 30% year over year, 800 million in debt. They were on the verge of bankruptcy. So what did the team do? What did the CEO and the board do? Well, first of all, they recognised we need to change. And they went back to basics, back to the brick. They simplified the product portfolio. Remember Lego theme parks, they divested off their non-core products. They got closer to their customers. Their customers being kids. And kids never lie about having fun. They helped them develop their product. And they also teamed up with the film industry, franchising, the Lego Star Wars, Harry Potter. You can probably all name a few. And now Lego is the number one global toy manufacturer in the world. So what an amazing story. But the challenge is, and maybe why it was quite hard to think of more than just a handful of great change and business examples, is it's, it's not necessarily the norm in the business world. Seven out of ten transformations fail. Transformation programmes tend to over-promise and under-deliver. So why is that the case? Well, as Phil alluded to, I've had some experience of working in the big corporate world, and there are a number of things that I think we have challenges with. And it would be great, again, to get your feedback on whether you're seeing the same. But first of all, I think a lot of our business practices are based on the past. They're based on solving the problems of the past. They're rear view mirror practices. There's no real methodology for baselining and planning for future. And there's certainly no effective guiding way to bring our people and our team on that journey. So change is challenging. But the good news, the good news is at the Future Ready Agency, we figured out a way, practical methodologies to help both the company and the people go on this journey together. We have a simple program, one program with two methodologies to baseline future readiness from an organizational standpoint and a leadership program, the emergent leadership program, which helps people understand the mindset and the behaviors to take the people on the journey as well. But more about that later. Well, let's look at why is change so hard? Of course, we all want to work in an organization which is frictionless to change, where ideas are embraced, where there's innovations, where all this stuff just works. 
But we know when we go on this journey, it's somewhere between impossible and really very, very hard. And I'd like to break it into two elements. One is about the organisation and the second is about the people and the team. So let's start by looking at the individual. We're all human. We all have a brain. If we have a brain, we have a bias. And it's, it's not necessarily that we are fearful of change. It's just we place a very high value on familiarity. We've invested many months and years in building our skill set. If things change and become unfamiliar, then maybe I won't be relevant anymore in the future. So let's look at three powerful biases that many of you may have experienced when you're trying to introduce change into your organisations. First of all, status quo bias. Status quo bias is about investing time in repeatable methodologies in terms of your neural network. You're built to create mental models for when you've learned how to do something, you don't want to burn the cognitive resources to have to learn how to do it again. So we conserve that energy. You all know it's quite hard when you're learning something new. If you go to a new location, you have to get a map and your Google Maps and you're looking at where you're going and you have to expend effort. Once you've done it two or three times, you've got a mental shortcut. That's status quo bias. People like to stick, our brains like to stick to what we've learned because we conserve our mental energy. Secondly, defensive decision-making. Defensive decision-making is about protecting that blame-free decision. It might not necessarily be the best decision for the organisation, but we want to stick to what we know. Choose your bias. Has anyone experienced any of this? Status quo bias, when you've introduced something new, you like to stick to it. So then we look at the organisation itself. Does your business ever feel like this, stuck in the mud? Organisations also have challenges and they have their own stubborn characteristics, personalities and traits. Organisations feel often like they're stuck in the mud. Methodologies, practices and processes so let's look at a few of these. But before we do, if you think of an organisation as a super tanker going in one direction, it can be quite challenging not let it to just stop, but move it in a different direction. So organisational challenges. Back to that looking to the past to think about the future. Rear view mirror management. If we're repeating and recycling what happened in the past, it's often very difficult to then say, well, these past practices, how are they going to apply to future problems? And if we look at the past and we simply tweak things, we're only going to tweak them by one or two percentage points, and that's not going to drive transformation. I think a great illustrative term for perhaps the chaotic decision-making in many organisations is 
garbage can management, a term coined by Mark Cohen and Wilson. Solutions and problems all go into the same garbage can. And depending on who the personality is that's making the decision, they're randomly assigned and the decision pops out. Garbage in, garbage out. And outdated working practices. A lot of our practices are still built on the industrial age where people were seen as resources for productivity and improving that productivity. I mean, think of your sales process today, your CRM, your sales methodology. How much does that bear a resemblance to what you actually do on the role and in the job? So some of the organisational challenges. So what do we do when we embark on a change and transformation journey? Well, often, in my experience, it's quite a secretive programme or project, and a few of the leaders go on an off-site, maybe with a management consultancy, and have a discussion about, well, we need to drive change, we need to change the organisation. And there's nodding, and then we go. We say, OK, let's, let's start to change the organisation. Off we go. And the people come second. So if you think of a, a sailing analogy, where the boat is the organisation, and the people and the crew are part of the team that need to be taken on the journey, the boat has gone sailing off from the harbour side and the crew are all left standing on the side. And maybe as the boat gets a few miles offshore, well, then we'll send an email, we'll have an all-hands call, we'll have a fireside chat and we'll, we'll tell the people about the organisational change and expect them to catch up. The challenge is, however fast those people swim, they're not going to catch that boat up. Some might drown and some may stand on the sideline and never jump in in the first place. What we actually need is the boat and the crew working together in one direction so that we are sailing in a common direction. Well, where do you start? Do you start with the organisation? Do you start with the people? You need to do both. We all talk about needing to run and operate now and build for the future. And we need to do it both at the same time. How do we ensure that we have both the company and the people, back to our sailing analogy, speaking a common language and sailing boat and crew in the common direction? Well, I said earlier, there was some good news in that we've figured out a practical way to help organisations and teams do this. Two methodologies, the Future Ready Framework and the second methodology from the management shift, and Vlatka is on the panel later, is the Emergent Leadership Programme. And it's both of these methodologies working together in one transformation programme as to when the magic happens. So let me just break it down a little bit and talk about the Future Ready Framework. So the Future Ready Framework, where did this come from? Well, when I was the COO in SAP, big business applications company in Asia Pacific Japan, very diverse region, scalability, a thousand plus people running you know, multi-billion business, 
you know, my role as COO, I was responsible for clearly operating and running the business as it stood today and driving the performance. But also the business itself was going through a big transformation from an on-premise business model to a cloud and subscription business model. Customer engagement was changing from very much a one-time focus to a life cycle focus. And from a people perspective, and certainly from a sales perspective, it was very much shifting from a deal-focused mindset to a customer life cycle and lifetime outcomes-based mindset. So when I started to talk about with the COOs in the COO community and the team was, I think our roles are evolving. I think we need to start to be more future focused, spend some of our time planning for the future, anticipating what change would be coming down the line. And so I framed it as our roles are evolving from being chief operating officers to becoming chief anticipation officers. And back to that status quo bias that I spoke about before, um, I have to say that was met with some resistance to start off with. There's a, a sea of blank faces going, Chief Anticipation Officer? No, 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 I, I'm a COO. We are responsible for running the business now. And Cathy, nice idea, but we've, we've got lots of things that need to get fixed right now. We haven't got time to be anticipating future. And even if we did, where would we start? And that's really how the future readiness framework started. It was a practical way to help our COOs, first of all, get the awareness that things needed to change and where to focus and how their business was, and then help them build that future ready roadmap. So the, what is it? The future ready framework, it's made up of three building blocks. And these are three areas where we anticipate the most change. The future of work, which is all about the people side of things. The future of business, really our customer engagement model. And the future of operations, which in my view and my experience needs to be much more tech driven and intelligent tech driven. So the future of work is more flexible, it's more inclusive and it's more purposeful. Three dimensions within that area. The future of business, our customers are wanting now to really shift away from a singular focus on cost efficiency and effectiveness to more resilient, to more networked business. It's not about me operating my business and getting the benefit. It's about we and shared values and the power of the network. In fact, networks are much more agile and resilient when they're responding. And so the dimensions within the future of business, you know, what offerings will your customers want next year, the following year, the following year? How do you operate in an ecosystem, that networked play? And how do you create that customer experience and engagement for your customer, but maybe also your customer's customer? And then the final building block is the future of operations, which is more tech-driven, intelligent tech-driven, it's more collaborative, and it's more agile. So what we did is we created a very simple uh, self-assessment that first of all, for each COO, 
help them do that assessment and say, well, where am I today for my business? How do I baseline from one to five on each of these dimensions? Am I really focused on operating now? Or am I spending time on building future? And it popped out the little diagnostic that you can see here, a spider web that says, this is how I feel about my business. And just that simple exercise started to help the COOs get awareness of, okay, maybe I do need to start to change. So just that step one was the awareness. The second step, we then went to each of the leaders of the businesses. So the people leader, head of customer, head of operations, and we did a deep dive into, you know, you tell us about the business that the COO is responsible for and give us that, you know, different dimension. And what was then very interesting is there were gaps between the two. So quite often we all think we're much better at doing things and then we get the feedback from the team and there were gaps. And it's not to say it's right or wrong. It created a conversation about how to build that future ready roadmap. And then we took that, put it into a design thinking or a, a life centered design and then started to create the future ready roadmap. And most importantly, put them into practice in an experimental, innovative, labs-based approach. Creating the right environment so that you can be accepting of failure. Um, we had things called a failure Friday or a future-focused Friday. Really sharing what worked, what didn't work. And over the course of that, we created some next practices because when does a best practice go out of date? So that's the organizational and future ready framework. But to continue with the journey, about, I think it was towards the end of my first year as COO, I was working with the team on the organizational plans and each of the COOs for the receptive markets had their own future ready roadmap. But this still felt like a a bit of a disconnect with the team. Like it was a different sort of headspace people were in. Like we weren't really talking the same language. And maybe you call it serendipity, but that's when I had met Vlatka for the first time and the management shift. And the management shift is a program that is based on many, many years of research, both academic but practical research with real impact. And it's an evidence-based leadership development program. Um, five levels, lifeless to limitless. And each of the levels has a set of experiences, behaviors, language, uh, emotions, each of those levels. And you can only ever move up and down by one level. And the premise is, if you get a critical mass of people at level four, then the magic happens. The organization is more engaged, there's better performance, there's more innovation, there's more collaboration. So what did that mean for, for me in my SAP role? Well, first of all, for me personally, I realized that I had this insight as to, well, why was this disconnect between me and the team? Why did I not really connect or communicate to some of the team and you do a self-assessment for this and it shows you where you're anchored so of course you're constantly moving up and down the levels all of the time depending on where you are and what's happening 
but you're anchored at a certain level. And so I found that I was anchored at level four, which is more purposeful, collaborative. It's about team. It's values-based. It's outcomes-driven. And then what I realized for each of the levels is when you're talking to a lot of people, and maybe this is my experience in a big corporate world, and maybe it even goes back to those outdated working practices that we spoke about before from the industrial age, a lot of the team were anchored more at the level three, which is very much about rules and order and compliance and risk mitigation. So first of all, there was this awareness that we were just speaking at different levels. And the second piece was when we took the COOs through this learning journey as well and development program, what we then found is we could have an open conversation. We had a common language to be able to say in a conversation or in a meeting, hang on a minute, let's just take a break. We, we seem to be bogged down and stuck in going back to what we did before, trying to tweak it and improve it, um, trying to create you know, more rules and order and structure and process. Let's just take one step away and then go back and shift ourselves into level four and use a different language and create a different mindset so that we were all then thinking in formation at a level four. And that ultimately led to some breakthroughs that we had with the team and new ideas that really had some significant impact. And I'll, I'll share a little bit about that as well. So it's a very powerful methodology that again gives a common language for your own awareness first as step one to any change. We all know change starts with each of us, but then also to see where the team is and then be able to have the common conversation to break through. The culture of any organization is the average of the mindsets in it. It's sometimes interesting to think about the culture of the organizations you're in and your team and where you're anchored and where the team is. And so these two powerful methodologies under one program with the right method and the right mindset, that's when powerful results can happen. So I know we haven't got a huge amount of time today. So if you do want to learn more about my journey and the SAP journey, uh, you can QR code this. It's a, a longer article in the Sales Transformation Journal, which talks about you know, what we did, how we did it, and some of the, the impact. But the results, as I mentioned, were pretty remarkable. So 18 months in, our leadership trust, our employee engagement, our business health and culture index had improved by several percentage points. More intrinsic motivation and purposeful connection to the teams mean people want to drive change and want to transform, which resulted as we shifted from the on-premise to the subscription business model of subscription revenues that were growing a CAGR of 24% year over year. And this is now reaching a billion euro subscription business for the Asia Pacific Japan region. And then that breakthrough idea that I spoke about earlier, the win rate and the deal size value, the breakthrough idea came from the pre-sales team. And 
the pre-sales organisation, certainly from an SAP perspective in APJ, was very much time-based recording, activity-driven. And what the team suggested was, well, why don't we do away with the time recording, um, which, by the way, the whole compensation system's based on, all of the systems and tools. This wasn't a, a rip, and, rip it up and start the next day. This is something that had been embedded for many, many years. So again, you have to set the right environment up and the right sponsorship so that you can actually get people to believe, if I come up with an idea, it's going to be put into practice and tested. And they shifted from time-based recording into why don't we engage with our customers and measure our engagement based on customer outcome and customer value. And so basically that's what happened. It shifted from an activity recording system to an outcome-based system that was customer validated and fantastic results in terms of a better win rate because the customer was engaged on the value plan and an improved level of deal size as well. And interestingly, when I now still connect with the team, because we're talking about subscription and lifecycle management, the renewals and the retention of the revenue is also much higher where we have the healthy value-based relationships. So just a great example of one of the breakthroughs that we had. So my offer to you, if you are ready for your sales teams and yourselves and your businesses to not just survive, but thrive in the future, then again, scan this and you can book a 30-minute strategy planning session where we'll baseline where you are today and look at some actionable insights to help you get started on your future ready journey. So when the future arrives, you'll be ready to sell it. Thank you. So we've got some time for some, um, for some questions of Cathy. Anyone got any questions? We do we have mics? Yeah, thank you. Ready. So has anyone got a question you'd like to pose to Cathy? I know it's always, uh, always the first one to go with a question. Right at the back. Great. Can we... Individual methodology. How, how, did you, how did you come up with the naming convention? Sorry, could you repeat the first part? With the uh, individual methodology, how did you come up with the naming convention for that? The li limitless to lifeless and limitless. Yeah. That's actually Vlacka's work. So the emergent leadership program is the management shift, um, which is a proven methodology. And as I said, backed by 20 years of academic research and practical application. So that's actually um, Vlacka's work. And there's a fantastic book that you can read. And then Vlacka's going to be on the panel later. But yeah, they're, they're the levels of the emergent leadership program. And then how, a follow-up question, how did you then decide on what the narrative was, what the language was for each level? I'm assuming that's tailored to your business. Yes, so each of the levels has, again, part of the programme, it, it has a very simple, there's a lot of detail, but it has a cheat sheet as well for each of the levels, which talks about the language you use, the mindset, the behaviours. So it's very, it's very easy to understand and it's very practical to apply. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Any other any other questions? Kathy? Yes, we've got two hands. 
one at the back and one at the front. So, do we take the one at the back first? Sorry, not sure who. Hi, Cathy. Yes, um, could you introduce yourself and I, then ask the question? Yeah. I'm Andrew Stewart. Um, very interesting uh, talk. Thank you very much for that. I was going to ask a question. Um, what if your client base is stuck at level three and you're at level four and five, say in a regulatory sector or legal sector or something like that? How do you deal with that for your future pathway? So again, there's lots of examples we can give and uh, I have <laughs> the, the real experts out on the, the front row as well. But from a practical perspective, um, there's different strategies that you can apply to shift up. And a lot of that is about collaboration and networking and bringing in um, different people to work with each other. So you're always going to have a mix of, of levels and you're not only at one level. You, you are, as I said, constantly moving up and down. Um, but what we found is with our customers, again, you have the same in the customer. You have people that are more collaborative and people that are more rules-based. I mean, in fact, we were just talking about this earlier, people in the design and the product development area versus people perhaps in the engineering and operational area. Um, so you basically can create sort of tripartite groups where you have individuals that represent perhaps two people anchored at level four and one at level three. And then it's an element of role modeling and coaching to get them to experience it. It's very much, it's a challenge because it sounds intangible when you, when you say it as a business leader. And, but you have to really experience it to realize that behavior, mindset and language can really create breakthroughs. And the only way to help people shift is to let people experience it. And that's really by yeah, building the individual groups. That's, that's one way. There's, there's lots of different, again, back to the cheat sheets and the, the, the framework, there's a whole um, workshop on strategies to shift and, and bring people up a level. Yeah. Thank you. Will? And Hi, Will Consalia. Um, I was just interested to know, what was your approach when you went to SAP about the concept of Chief Anticipation Officer? versus chief operating officer what and how, how did they how did SAP respond to that initially <laughs> um we might have some SAP people here um I think initially again you get a mixed response any any change is you know, back to the status quo bias people have been in operations for many years they've built a whole set of responsibilities and skills around that you know that sort of sunk cost bias and loss aversion coming across um i think people initially thought it was a bit of a crazy idea if i'm really honest with you <laughs> i think i think they're like we have to run a multi-billion euro business and we have all of these operational challenges and we need to drive the performance quarterly driven, well, monthly driven, given subscription. Um, so it was very much, it was a vision. It wasn't real. It was like, nice idea, but how, I don't understand the connection between this idea and what I do in my day job. And that's really why the whole future readiness framework started was to, to take the idea and make it practical. And what I would say is it started off as a role, so chief operating officer to chief anticipation officer. It then very quickly evolved into, well, it's not just the role, is that the function of the team? And then actually it then evolved, the more people we 
I had discussions with and engaged lots of people across the whole organisation. Um, it was a mindset. And I remember in one of the last sort of sessions we did, where we had a very diverse group of people, um, one of the new grads who just joined SAP, right at the end of the session, said, you know what, this chief anticipation officer thing, it's not a role or a function. It's the fact that we all need to put, for a little bit of our day, our chief anticipation officer hat on. And I think, Cathy, everyone should be a chief anticipation officer for some point of what they do. So that, to me, was really interesting that someone said that. And that's then shifted into it's more of a behaviour and a mindset. So, and it continues to evolve. It continues to evolve. Yeah.